Hey there, Laura here. Just a quick announcement. For the month of December, we're going to be taking a much-needed Christmas break. But don't worry, there'll still be new episodes every week. For December, we are jumping back to share a few of the most viewed sessions from the 2023 Church Mental Health Summit. And I can't wait to share some of these fantastic talks with you. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out, so listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. The show today is a flashback to one of the amazing sessions at our 2023 Church Mental Health Summit with Jimmy Dodd from Pastor Serve. Now, assumptions are really easy to make today. They're always easy to make. In fact, just the other day, I made the assumption that my friend, that she was doing really, really well. They are so happy. She is such a happy, bubbly, sweet person. And at church, I was sitting near them, and they were lifting their hands in worship. They volunteer. Their kids are amazing. There's really, and she looks stunning. There really is no reason. So I just assumed that she was doing well. But then just the other day, like just yesterday or the day before, I got a text from them asking who I would recommend as a counselor because she is really struggling right now. Now, I knew there was some stuff that she struggled with or she faced in the past, but I had no idea, none, that she was struggling today. I made the assumption based on outward behavior and appearances and what I wanted to be true. And we do this with people we know, and we do this with people we don't know. We think that they are successful, their ministry is growing, they look fit, good on the outside, that they are going and that they're doing well on the inside. And then (laughs) we are shocked when they're not, when someone falls away or has a moral failure, or perhaps they die by suicide. Then we can sit in judgment of those people. And ask things like, why did they keep things hidden? Why didn't they reach out? Or why didn't they get help before things unraveled? And it is so, so easy to sit on the sidelines when when I'm not the one suffering and I'm not under the mountain of pressure to be perfect. It is so easy to judge or to point out gaps or, or blind spots. It's, it is unbelievably hard to admit when we're struggling, to tell someone, I'm not doing well. And if you couple that with this higher standard or this expectation of public figures and ministry leaders, that they are held to a different standard, I would think that if I was in that position, it would feel impossible to be able to ask for help. Just everyone expects you to be perfect, and you have to keep up this facade. Pastor Serve is an organization that uh, Jimmy Dodd runs and, and founded, and it matches people up with peer mentors so they have a safe connection to talk about their struggles. They have someone that they feel that they can uh, talk about when they're struggling before the unraveling, someone outside their family, their church, their board, their denomination. Pastor Serve strives to help people prevent 
a crisis moment, but they also come alongside alongside leaders after the bottom has dropped out. Now, Jimmy Dodd, the founder and CEO of Pastor Serve, he comes to this role with his own story. Back in the day, in the in you know many many years ago, he was outwardly a very successful pastor with a rapidly growing ministry. He looked the part. No one would suspect that there was anything hidden or any struggles in his life. However, some sobering words from his 10-year-old son jolted him awake. At the age of 10, his eldest son expressed to, to a family member that out of all the things that he could be when he grew up, he definitely didn't want to be a pastor. Man, those words hit a nerve. And Jimmy realized that he was hiding his true self, that if anyone really knew him, like the really knew the real him, they would probably think that he was opinionated, arrogant, a jerk even, secretly harboring anger and fear. But it was those words of his son that shook him awake, and he pursued vulnerable relationships that help him reprioritize his life and ensure that his backstage life was honoring his front stage life. I hope that you enjoy this talk from Jimmy Dodd from the 2023 Church Mental Health Summit. Hey, it's great to be with you today at the Mental Health Summit. I feel very honored to be here. I'm Jimmy Dodd. I serve with a ministry that's called Pastor Serve, and we have the great privilege to serve pastors actually all around the world. We, we coach pastors. We do a lot of consulting, and that means we do soul care retreats. We do some conferences. We just try to help churches find ways uh, just to do things maybe just a bit better. And then we also are very involved in crisis care, which means that we get some calls in some hard situations. We have an amazing team spread all over the country, uh, and we would love to serve you. So it's a real joy for us to be here because we do mental health actually every single day. I'm in kind of a unique spot right now because I just came back off a sabbatical. I had a wonderful break where I was able to spend some extended time with my wife and my kids and just do some fun things. Uh, But really, the theme of my time away was really solitude and silence, uh, which I don't do a lot because I think that we would all say that the world can be a very, very noisy place. And sometimes it's hard because we need to just pray, Lord, I pray that your voice would always be louder to my heart and my mind and my ears than the noise of the world. And so it was just a time to try to slow down. I actually did a spiritual retreat for four days of complete silence, uh, which everybody said I couldn't do. They said, that's impossible. You can't go for four days without talking. It was really difficult. Day one and two, really painful. Day three was a real breakthrough because it just really felt like I began to listen to God in a way that maybe I haven't listened in a long time. So just slowing down and listening was so good for my soul. It was good for my mental health just to slow down. And so I have a friend and he says this. He says, isolation is to put yourself in a cage, but solitude is to put your distractions in a cage. So I love that phrase, just to put your distractions in a cage. And so thank you so much for that great, you know, great quote there from, uh, which just helps me to think a lot more about solitude. I like the fact that Elijah, when he was in the midst of trying to find God's voice, he listened for God's voice. And it says in 1 Kings 19, that he listened for the still small voice of God, and it came in the the sound of sheer silence. What a powerful phrase. 
It came in the sound of sheer silence. And so I understand that just to be silent and to be quiet can be a real demonstration of just being being actually obedient to God, to be still, to be quiet, to listen, and just to wait. And to wait on God to move and to act and just actually deliver. One thing that we all can see that's a massive ongoing concern for the church is I think that there is still an obsession with the front stage of the church. I think that we are still so consumed with the front stage, and I think we make a lot of assumptions which can lead us into a lot of trouble. It's a lot like this. Hey, I went to this conference and I heard this speaker, love this person, amazing, incredible. And the Lord really spoke to my heart. I felt like the, I felt like the Spirit really spoke deeply to me. And as a result of this conference, man, there's some things in my life I need to change, but I have these new habits and some new, just some new things in my life that are so positive. And I say, that's, that's wonderful. Man, God spoke to you at that conference. You heard some things that were helpful. God really stirred in your life. The Spirit moved. You also said the speaker was wonderful and amazing, and you just, you know, you really, really love them. I'm curious, what, what do you know about the speaker? You know the way they treat their spouse? You know the way they treat their children? You know the way they spend their money? I mean, like, are they kind? Are they generous? You made all these assumptions about their backstage based upon what you saw on the front stage. I think that can be a very dangerous thing. But I think that we live in a culture that's largely obsessed with, we want a big front stage. And if we see a big, successful front stage, we make the assumption that their backstage must be really good. That's a dangerous assumption. That's absolutely not always the case. So why, why are we so obsessed with the front stage? Because I think we're desperate for approval. We want approval. Because I think that deep down in our soul, in one sense, I think the word just approval sucks, right? That's a phrase that was used for years and years by H.B. London, which I loved. We can be approval sucks. We want a false sense of affirmations for what we so deeply need, and we're going to do everything we can. We're going to keep barriers around us to keep ourselves isolated because we really don't want anybody to get too close to really know us. So we learn how to play the game. We learn how to share just enough so everybody thinks, well, they're a person that has issues and problems, but it seems like they're really walking with the Lord. But we don't want to let anybody in really, really deeply. We believe that Satan has a very small toolbox, and his primary tool is he whispers lies into our ears, and we believe those lies. And his number one lie is this, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. So I want to build some barriers around me and stay very isolated. Friends, don't believe that lie. We need community. We were created for community. You were created to have a few close friends that know everything about you and they still extend love to you. We desperately need community. Don't buy into that lie that we need to isolate ourselves because if they really knew me, they're gonna completely reject me. I think we're also obsessed with the front stage because I think that we like the accolades that come from it in a way that we want people that might have power, influence, or money to do everything that they can to stroke our ego. Because we like it when people that have some power seem to say, man, you're just doing a great job. But at times when those people that have power and influence turn against us, if we aren't in the right place, we begin to allow the antagonists to set the agenda for our church and not the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I want to share with you a verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And you're going to think, I don't know if I believe that's one of your favorite verses, but I promise you, I go to this verse over and over again, because I think if pastors would grasp this truth, I think if ministry leaders would get this truth, it would change the way that we do ministry. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Here's what it says. The next section was repaired. Okay, let me just, maybe some context would be helpful here. So we all know the story about Nehemiah. He builds up the walls, incredible. A hundred years of failure. I mean, like Zerubbabel and Ezra, and they just can't get the walls built back up. And then Nehemiah comes in. He's not a pastor. He's a lot more just a city planner. He's a layperson, And he has this brilliant plan of saying, okay, we have failed at this project for all these years. We need to get these walls built back up. So he divides the wall into 41 different sections. And then he creates these teams to work on various parts of the wall. So this team, you live here, so you're going to work on the part of the wall that's very close to your house. It's absolutely brilliant to take this overwhelming project and break it down into much smaller sections. So it's interesting because he walks around in chapter three and just kind of writes down, okay, this team is working on this part. Though I, I love the fact he says, okay, Eliashib, the high priest, is going to work on the sheep gate. How powerful is that? That the high priest, of which there was only one, is not walking around patting everybody in the back saying, hey, great job, you're doing a great job. No, the high priest rolls up his sleeves and goes to work. Uh, but we could preach on that for days, right? That's absolutely incredible. But he's walking around the wall and he writes down the names of all these teams. And he comes and he says this in verse five, and uh, th this is powerful. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work underneath their supervisors. Here's the verse I love. The Jeshna gate was repaired by Jodiah, son of Pesha, and Meshulam, son of Bethsodia. They laid its beams and put its bolts, its bolts and doors and bars in place. Wow! That's it. The Jeshna gate was repaired by Jodias. You're thinking, what, what am I missing? Here's why I, I love that verse so much. Because in verse 5 we read that there's some people on a team that don't want to do any work. There's like one half of one team that says, you know what, we don't think this is a good idea. We really aren't into this. I mean, it's just going to be these things of laying bricks and uh, it's, it's just so menial. We aren't going to do it. We, we don't know why they didn't do it. But there's like one half of one team that says, we're not going to participate in this project. I love verse 6, not because of what it says, although it's a great verse. I love it because of what it doesn't say. It doesn't say in verse 6, and so Nehemiah shut down the entire project because there was one half of one team that didn't want to work. So he shut down the entire project, and he formed a special committee to do this investigation to find out why that team did not want to serve, why that team did not want to help. And because they felt like they should have some special committees to find out do you not like the brick color? Do you not like the pattern that we're laying it in? I love the fact that Nehemiah does not let the antagonist stop this project. He doesn't let the antagonist shut down everything while they investigate what's going on. It's almost like it's, 
It's not in there, but sometimes I think it must be there somewhere in the Hebrew where it says, hey, listen, I've got 40 and a half teams that are excited about this project. I've got one half of one team that's not excited. You're the antagonist. You're not going to set the agenda for this project. So to heck with you, we're just going to go on. I love the fact that he just goes right on. We cannot let the antagonist set the agenda for the church. That is causing more mental health issues than almost, I'm telling you, I talk to more pastors that feel so much pressure and guilt and strain and even shame at times because they feel like they have to bow to these agendas of people of their church. Let me just say, if you're watching this video, you might be a lay person, I'm not sure, sure who, no amount of money that you give your church buys you the right to become an antagonist. No amount of time that you volunteer to a church has earned you the right to become an antagonist. You have no right to become an antagonist. Sometimes in those strange moments when I see somebody and they're antagonist and I think, gosh, I think they love Jesus. I just think something's wrong with them. There are times in which I just pray, Lord, take them home. That might sound like a mean prayer. Listen. It's not a mean prayer. They'll be happier, right? Uh, and, and I'll be happier, right? And may, maybe their spouse will be happy. I mean, it's a win-win all the way around. Don't let the antagonist set the agenda. Now, the thing I hear from more and more pastors that really concerns me is this. They feel like the number of the antagonists in the church are growing. So I think we have to ask ourselves why. I think that there's a lot of answers. Here's one answer, but it greatly concerns me. I think our church, in one sense, is being practically discipled by cable news. And if you watch massive amounts of cable news, you know what? You're going to become an antagonist. If you think, gosh, I'm very, very involved in church. I come to you know, worship every week, and I go to a small group. I go to this Bible study, that one. I'm involved in church at least, you know, 12 hours a week. But I watch cable news 30 hours a week. You're going to become an antagonist because so much of that is going to be so negative and just pushing against you. Listen, allow yourself to be discipled by Jesus, by your church, by your pastors, by those who love Jesus many more hours than you're discipled by cable news. So, I think we also have to understand that we are also obsessed with the front stage because there is a thing that we call a pastor serve. There is a maturity gap index. So let's say that you are, you know, very, very gifted. And let's say like you're age 20. And let's say that on a scale from one to 10, let's say that you're like a six. I believe that if you work hard in your life and if you really, really stick with it, I think that over your life that you could grow from a six to like an eight on the scale. This is gift in this. This is talent. This is skill. And I think if you work hard and if you have a strong, strong, just, gosh, I want to do these things, I think that you can grow and learn. I, I, I think it's almost impossible to grow from a one to a 10. That, that, that just doesn't happen. But I think that there's a range of gifts in which you have. And I think that that range of gifts can actually increase. So I think you could go from a three to a six, maybe. You could go maybe from a six to, to up to like an 8.5 or a nine. And I think that that can be very good if you do that. But there's another skill. It's a character skill. 
it's an overall maturity scale. And that's not at all linear. I mean, it's it's up and down, right? It's like, oh, I grew a lot in my 20s. Boy, I really struggled in my 30s. Oh, I grew a lot here, struggled here, grew here, struggled here. You hope that eventually it's going to go up. And you hope that eventually your character is going to meet your giftedness. But especially in young people, there's almost always going to be more talent and more skill and ability than there is character. So you're going to have a gap. You're going to have a gap of, okay, here's my skill level, but here's my, just like my overall character. That gap is a dangerous gap. That's what we call that that gap is the, you just have this gap that you have to fill because there is this, you know, there's this area in which can cause you some huge issues in life. Because you could either pose, pretend, and lie, or you can be open and honest with people and say, listen, I understand. My gifts exceed my character, but I need some people to speak into my life right now and help me. Now, listen, it's not just assumed that you will actually mature. There's, there's a lot of folks out there, and they just flatline, and they don't actually mature and grow. But there are so many examples in, in the world of those that just they just can't get they just can't actually grow up. There's a lot of sports analogies because every year, especially, there's a lot of sports drafts, and in every sports draft, they're they're just always analyzing. Okay, here's this person's skill level, but here's their character level. So we're going to gamble millions of dollars, millions of our franchise that this person is going to grow up over time. A lot of times it works out. A lot of times it doesn't. There's a lot of Johnny Manziels out there. He was a 10 on the gifted level. Unbelievable. Crazy, crazy, crazy gifted athlete. But the Cleveland Browns bet everything that he's going to grow up because his maturity was like a 1, right? Or it might have been like a .0001. And so they gamble. They gamble the franchise, really, that he's going to grow up and mature. And he didn't. But I think that same thing is found actually in lots of pastors. Now, I oftentimes hear, well, wait a second. So the more mature you are, that's great. But let's say the more gifted you are, that's going to create a larger maturity gap index. It feels unfair to say that there's a larger maturity gap index just because you're incredibly gifted. That just doesn't feel right. But there's a lot of reasons why that's true, because... The more gifted you are, it's going to lead to more opportunity, more applause. There's going to be lots, lots more things just as far as adoration, and that can be very, very negative, which can lead to a decrease in character. People can turn a blind eye because you're so good and you're so very, very gifted. That can also lead to some big, big issues. But I think that when you're really gifted, here's a massive issue that I see in pastors a lot. When you're really gifted, it can lead to an absence of truth tellers. You need truth tellers in your life. You need people who can be absolutely straight with you and tell you the truth about things, even when it's incredibly difficult. That can be very, very hard, but we need to have people in our life that can absolutely speak the truth to us. So how do you fill that gap? Well, the thing we say lots of times, actually, past to serve is this. The pastors that we have found that are really, really thriving in ministry have six key relationships. They have a boss, they have a trainer, they have a coach, they have a counselor, they have a mentor, and they just have a really good, good close friend. 
We all need to have those roles filled. That might not have to be six people, because I think that you could be a boss and a friend. I think that you can train and also counsel. I think it's hard to be a boss and a counselor. I think that that's difficult. But we need a boss, because a boss can be a champion. We need a trainer, which means we need to have open hearts to learn. We do need to be at conferences. I mean, like the fact that you're here right now says a lot about you, because you want to be trained. We need a coach, someone that can very, very intentionally walk with us and ask us some hard questions. If you meet with somebody, hey, how are things going? Hey, here's how it's going. That's wonderful. That's not a coach. That's a friend. Because a coach is much more actually intentional. We need to have a counselor that can deep, just really dig deep into those things in our past that might be there, that might be some, you know, some things that, gosh, it might be parents or some th things in the past. It's so good to have counselors just to really work through life with, to have mentors that can see the big picture. It's just so key to have those mentors that can see the big, you know, the big maze of life and can just help help you through it. And then we all need to have those really close friends that we basically deputize to ask us the hard questions. It's like David, we all have to have Nathans in our life. We all have to have those people that can say, listen, I love you, but you are the man. Who are the Nathans in your life? Hey, thanks for listening. Please check out the show notes for links to Pastor Serp and their incredible ministry. And I hope that through this message, you were encouraged to connect with a community of people that will help you strengthen your faith. Thanks for listening and take care.